This morning's sermon passage is Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, we ask for your help now. The message of this passage is very 
simple. Lord, I pray over this room and over my words that you would prevent us from so complicating it that we miss its point. And I pray that you would prevent us from making excuses to close our ears and not hear what you are clearly saying this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. As Spencer said earlier this month, we are considering our invitation into God's mission. God is a missionary God. He is going to reach this community in a more, in a more deep way. He is going to reach the ends of the earth. He is going to redeem a people from every language and nation and tribe and tongue And he invites us to join him in the endeavor. So the question before us is simple. Why do we not go running into the mission? A few weeks ago we said perhaps it's because we don't believe that God would use people like us. God uses people like us. This morning, I think that often we don't go running into God's mission because we think very negative things about God's mission. We think of hardship and drudgery, time commitments, and an absence of a winsome personality, maybe a little bit of fear. And I don't necessarily want to even say all those things are wrong, but what this passage says is the mission of God is appealing Because there is the joy of God when sinners come home through Christ. What this passage is saying is there is a joy of God that we miss out on if we don't lean into God's mission with Him to be active in pushing His kingdom So much so is at the point of this passage that it gets said three times. So the question I want to pose to us today is what if our walk with Christ is missing joy Not because something's lacking in God, not because something's lacking in our experience of God, and not because we need a better Bible study or a better Bible study teacher, and not because we need the pastor to preach on something else, but what if, or Dan to sing less songs or more songs, or us to say certain prayers more or less, but what if the reason that joy is missing in our Christian experience is because we're looking for joy in all the wrong places? And this passage tells us where to look. It says this, look at what gives God joy and lean into that. Find joy where God finds joy. And this is what we're told three times. When those who are far from God are brought near, God rejoices and heaven rejoices. So I want us to learn to lean into. First point though is lost and found. What we see in this passage three times is that there is something lost, and it's found. And it's found not because it came home, 
but because the owner went looking for it. What we see in this passage is that our God is a missionary God who is the seeker, who is the pursuer, who is the one that ensures that, that, that those who are far are invited to come near and they're brought home. And so we see these three stories. The first is a story about a shepherd. A shepherd, we're told, who has a hundred sheep. And the hundred sheep, of the hundred sheep, one wanders away and has become lost. And we're told that the shepherd leaves the ninety-nine and goes out to ensure that the one is found. So the shepherd pursues the lost sheep. And when he finds the lost sheep, he doesn't say, stupid sheep, and kick it in the rear, and kick it all the way back to the pasture. Which is what we would do, right? I love the honesty of kids. I got some kids back there going, yep, that's what my daddy would do all day long. Don't worry, my kids shook their heads the first service too. You don't have to feel any guilt. Or maybe we all should feel guilt. Anyway, we'll come to that later. Um, But what does the shepherd do? He picks the sheep up. He places it on his shoulders. And nurturingly and lovingly and joyfully carries it back to the flock. You see the story of the shepherd who longs to see the sheep return to the fold, and he seeks him and finds him and lovingly brings him home. Second story, a lady. She has ten coins. Oh. She has ten coins. She loses one. Ah! At least I still got nine. It's dark. It's time for bed. Maybe it'll show up tomorrow. Maybe I'll find it the next time I vacuum or sweep or whatever they did back then. But no, that's not what we're saying. The woman is so concerned about the one coin. It's like, forget like inherent greed here. It, 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 it's just a story, okay? But she's so concerned about the one coin that she lights a lamp in the night. And now ladies, lean into this, okay? She cleans the entire house Willingly. Because she loves the coin and wants to find the coin and will not rest until the coin is found. She wants the coin that deeply and when she finds it, she celebrates it. Third story. There's a father and he has two sons. And one of the sons, the younger one, comes to him and says, Father, I'm done with you. I'm done with the farm. I'm done with the the homestead. I want my part, and I'm out of here. So the father divides the inheritance and gives the younger son what he wants. And the younger son, as we all would anticipate, goes out and spends it on very holy and righteous things, right? No. He goes out and he squanders it in the worst possible of ways. Spends it on prostitutes. He's a good Jewish boy. He's hanging out with the Gentiles. He runs out of money. And now desperate to maintain a life 
far from his father, he goes and works pigs, which is like the worst thing that a Jewish boy could do just to stay alive. And so now this young man has taken his inheritance, has squandered it on sin and pleasure and satisfaction, and now he is hungrier than the unclean, unholy pigs that he's paid to feed. And we're told that he comes to his senses, and that's a Greek idiom that means he kind of had an awakening. It's like, think spiritual awakening. He comes to his senses, and he says, my father's house the lowest servant would be better than this. I'm going to go plead mercy. So he goes home, and he pleads mercy. And, w- and what are we told? We're told that the father is sitting on the front porch with his hands crossed going, I know you'd come back. Bum. Squandered it all. Get to work. No, that's not what we're told. We're told that the father was eagerly looking down the road anticipating, wondering if he would ever see his son again. And when he sees him, the father runs after him and embraces him and forgives him and clothes him back to his position as a son, as a family member, and throws a party for him. So what this passage tells us is that our God is a missionary God who seeks the unclean, the unpure, the unholy, those who are far from Him, and lavishes His grace upon them freely. That's the kind of God we have. We have a God who is busy finding the lost and inviting them into the family. The takeaway, number one, from this passage to bring us joy is that the unclean are invited to the family. And so if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, if you're here today and you're a member of a church, if you're here today and you belong to Jesus and you know that His kingdom is yours and eternal life is yours and all of His blessings are yours, what we must remember is that we, like that young boy, are forever undeserving sinners who have received undeserved mercy from a very benevolent and loving God. Our God is the missionary God who seeks and saves and pursues and brings home those who are far from Him. He's a God who says to the unclean, you're invited to the family. And so every morning that you wake up, take that minute to clear your eyes, take that minute to get your equilibrium, Roll over, turn on the light, and remind yourself that you are the sheep and the coin and the prodigal son, and God has brought you home. And it's by His grace that you're a child. It's by His grace that you're in His family. It's by His grace that you're in His sheepfold. It's by His grace that you're in His money bag, and you delight in Him. Our joy comes from our salvation because we don't deserve any of it. And I'm just here to tell you, Christians, often, Satan doesn't have to get us addicted to pornography and sleeping with prostitutes to forget the great grace of God extended to us. Often, he makes us become self-righteous, filled with pride, 
of how well we make decisions and how well we govern our families and how well we invest our money and how morally upright we are and how we never miss church and how put together we are and how my kids obey God and me as their authority better than your kids. And in all of that self-righteousness, what we're doing is we're distancing ourselves from the cross of Jesus and we're distancing ourselves from this posture of I deserve nothing, you have given me everything. Praise be your name. And joy comes from recognizing the power of the gospel in us. Guys, we can't leave this, though, without putting the gospel out there. It's very likely in a room this size that some of you are not followers of Jesus. It's very likely that some of you are desperate for hope. It's very likely that some of you are desperate for joy. It's very likely that some of you are like, I need to figure out this whole who am I and who is God and how can we have a relationship thing. This passage speaks directly to that. And here's what it says. God receives the contrite with mercy and grace. Look with me at verse 17. The son has squandered everything. He's in the pigsty. He's hungry. And it says, verse 17, he came to himself. That means he had this spiritual aha moment. And he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Verse 18, I will arise, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. That's a contrite heart. Father, I'm the worst of sinners against you. I deserve nothing from you. Treat me as one of your servants. Help me. Do something for me. And what this passage says is that our heavenly Father always responds to that contrite heart with mercy and grace, and not judgment, and not condemnation, and not tisk tisk. why did it take you so long, and not how dare you. So what I want some of you to hear this morning is that no matter how much you've turned away from God, no matter how much of a wreck your life has become, and no matter how responsible you are for that wreck, our Heavenly Father says, come. He will welcome a contrite so come to him in brokenness and in repentance and in pleading for mercy and by the blood of Jesus he will welcome you and forgive you and make you a child and bring you into his family because the unclean are invited to the family of God. Source number one of joy is remembering that unclean people like us are invited into the family to be treated as sons. So one path of our maturity in Christ is to never forget that we were once unclean and now we've been made family. But all of that is by God's grace. Second source of joy. The point is called grumble or rejoice. The second source of joy offered in this passage is to go with God to the forefront of building His kingdom and find joy as God saves sinners, as God brings the unclean close to Him. 
If the first point is the unclean are invited to the party, the second, excuse me, if the first point is the unclean are invited to the family, the second point is the clean are invited to the party. We get to celebrate with God when people enter His kingdom. And the only question for us is, will we engage with Him? Go back through the parables with me. The first parable, the the, the shepherd, he finds the sheep, and we're told that he rejoices, and we're told that heaven rejoices. But notice this, the shepherd called his friends and his neighbors together, and he said, rejoice with me, my sheep has been found. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. By the way, the 99 righteous people who need no repentance, that's all hypothetical. Second story, the lady finds the coin. She rejoices, but notice what she does. She calls together her friends and her neighbors, and she says what? Rejoice with me, I found my coin. It's the exact same invitation. Join me in the joy. Third story, the father welcomes the son home. The father clothes the son. The father puts the ring back on his finger to say, you're, part, you're my son. But then what does he do? He calls the servants. He says, kill the calf. We're throwing a party because my son has come home and you're invited to the party. So you see, guys, here's the question. The question is not, is God going to reach his people? The answer to that is yes. The question is, when God re- and, and the question is not, when God reaches his people, is he going to celebrate? The answer is yes. The question is, will we be on the forefront there where we get to share in the joy? Because what this passage says is one of the greatest sources of joy that we can find is to see someone have their eyes opened, their doubt be answered with truth, their unbelief answered with faith, and people be brought into God's kingdom. And if we're not actively walking in God's mission, meeting our friends and neighbors and relatives and co-workers who are far from God and inviting them to Christ, what we're ultimately doing is we're missing out on the joy of God saving sinners. So the question before us is this, and I'm borrowing from a, an author named Robert Stein. The question is not, will God save or will God find joy But the question is, will we be the church of the elder brother or the church of the loving father? Because what you see at the end of this passage is the elder brother, he didn't celebrate. He was angry. He was angry. Have you guys ever felt that anger? Like I remember, um, and those of you that went to college with me, I see you in this room. I'm not talking about you, okay? Let's just get that clear. Um, But I went to a pretty stuffy Baptist Christian college as a pagan athlete. And, um, and I lived out my paganness pretty well. I was a good pagan, faithful pagan. And um, radically, unbeknownst to me, God saved me. Just like, and I was baptized. And the church I was baptized in, they celebrated it. They celebrated it like crazy. People there who didn't know my paganness, they celebrated with me. But do you know who struggled with it? The other people 
at my college who grew up in Paris, Tennessee with me who had seen all my paganness. They were struggling to, to see me standing before God on the same footing as them, which means in that moment they were forgetting just how much they too needed Jesus. And so the question for us is, will we go to the party? And will we celebrate what God celebrates? The older brother couldn't. He couldn't. He was mad. You know why he was mad? Because he was out in the field working for the family, sweating and tired. He was coming back to the house. This is verse 25 and following. Probably hungry, probably thirsty, wondering why there was music and dancing in a party that he wasn't invited to. And he goes in and he sees that they've killed the best calf. And ultimately, remember this, guys, if the father had split the possessions between the two sons and given the possessions to the younger son that were his, do you know whose calf that was? Oh, it was the older brother's. So now they're taking from my money to celebrate him. And he's mad. And he's self-justified. And he's angry. And he's right. And he's not going to the party. Now I want you to hear this. This is verse 28. God came to him too. God came to him too. So the father came out to him and looked at him. He said, look, the son's mad. I've served you all these years. I've never disobeyed you. You never gave me a goat. You never let me celebrate with my friends. And he takes it and wastes it and it's selfish and goes away and sleeps with people and dishonors you and dishonors God. And when he comes home, you throw a party? I mean, like, Poke your chest out, right? And basically what the father says is, you just don't understand my heart. Verse 31, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. You hear what he says? You're a part of the family. I've given you everything. I haven't taken anything from you. The promises still stand. You're, you're still my son. It's all yours. It was fitting, verse 32, to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found. You hear what, you hear what God, or what the father says to the elder brother there? Hey, you're still a son. You're still in the kingdom. You still belong to me. But your brother's home and we're going to celebrate his life. Your brother's home and we're going to welcome him. And so the question for us when it comes to God's mission is not, is the brother coming home, but will we go to the party? Will we find the joy that God finds when he pursues and seeks and saves and redeems and restores? So for today, I want you to remember that there is the greater joy in the things that bring God joy. And I want you to remember that when we stand up and we say, Take the gospel and go. It's not out of drudgery. And it's not out of pity. But it's out of love and compassion and longing to experience the joy of God. I distinctly remember my friend Doug who lived in a city in northern India of 
I believe it was four million people. And he told me, he said, when my faith is waning, I go and do evangelism. And all the Americans looked at him like, hold on. Say that again? So when my faith is waning, I go and share the gospel in the parks. I mean, how many of you tapping into that, right? So because the only thing that makes me believe there's hope for India is to see God open a sinner's eyes in a park that I've never met before. The only thing that makes me stay when my whole family is suffering is to experience the kind of joy that Luke 15 talks about. So I'm just inviting you to lean in to the mission and lean in to God's mission for, great, for the greater joy. Now, lest you think maybe we're making too much of Luke 15 today, I want you to take your Bible and turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The author of Hebrews, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, amen, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, amen, sanctification, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, amen, strength and perseverance, looking to Jesus, Amen. We need Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Now listen, why did Jesus do what he did? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's reverse engineer that. Why is Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Because he went to the cross and he rose again. And why did Jesus go to the cross? For the joy of what he knew was coming from the cross. That is, those who are far off being brought near. And we look to Jesus and lean into the joy that motivated Jesus. He's extending not just the salvation to us, not just the mission, but the joy. So I'm eager to see Redeemer Church filled with people who cannot quench the missionary impulse out of a longing to experience the joy that God experiences when those who are far are brought near. So we lean into joy by remembering first the unclean are invited to the family, and second, by remembering the clean are invited to the party. This is what I want for our church. This is what I want for you, and this is what we invite you to. So, Father, we pray that you would speak your word and power to us. And we pray that whatever needs to land today, that you would land it. As we seek you in prayer, we pray now that you would speak to us.